As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, stalemate but progress at Anfield, farcical scenes at the King's Meadow Ice Rink, and your questions answered. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Outta Cobham. Happy Monday to you, listener. We are celebrating a goalless draw at Anfield. But as I say, progress, that's the main thing. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by The Athletic's Liam Toomey. Morning, Liam. Who said driving eight hours to watch ninth versus tenth play at a goalless straw wasn't a good use of my Saturday? <laughs> Not me. Uh, Sam Parkins also with us. How are you doing, Sam? Wasn't a good use of my Sunday evening either, watching it back. So, <laughs> on the same boat. Good energy. Good energy to the pod this morning. Right, as Liam said to himself on Saturday, let's head to Anfield. Well, it's no surprise really that this one's ended all square. It's a fixture known for draws. But on this occasion, it's a result that doesn't really help either team. The reality is, by the end of the weekend, they both could be 12 points off the Champions League places. I thought the performance was good. Happy with the team, happy with the energy in the team, what we tried to do. Obviously, we're playing against an opponent that is at Anfield. It's always tough, but um, not happy with a lot of it. We obviously wanted to win, but in the end, it's a clean sheet. It's a, it's a point for us, and we move forward. Uh, No goals, but plenty of positives for Chelsea then as they earned a point on Merseyside on Saturday. Uh, Liam did send us a voice note. We're going to play you the highlight of it now. I think he looked really good, guys. Mudrik looks really good. He was unlucky not to score with a a little slaloming run and then shot into the side netting. He played teammates in a couple of times to really promising positions and I need to watch them make the wrong decision or not execute. Welcome to Chelsea, Mikhailo. Lots more of that to come. There was more, but that was the highlight. So that's what we're going with. Uh, Liam, I'm going to ask you a serious question to start with. Did you have a nice time on your first visit to Anfield? Well, first of all, I have to apologise because I don't think the bulk of that voice note was up to scratch, which is why I think producer Lucy wisely picked a bit in the middle. I think I hit my sweet spot in the middle where I was no longer focused on the fact that in the press box at Anfield was maybe the coldest I've ever felt. 
just an ice cold wind the entire game. And I'd, I've never been to Anfield, especially this new refurbished press box. So I was surprised by how uh, exposed it was, put it that way. And um, yeah, it was it was not the most enjoyable live viewing experience, although I did enjoy the actual stadium, the atmosphere. I thought it was, a, I actually thought it was quite a good game, even though it's not the game that would yield highlights really for a match of the day type show. But I thought there were lots of things that were tactically interesting about what Chelsea did. And we got that really, I think, genuinely quite exciting Madrid cameo in the second half that that gives some real um, cause for optimism. Yeah, I didn't think it was as bad as as people were making out. Maybe that's because I was watching the whole thing and and commentating on it, which always makes it a bit more interesting. Um, We put the shout out for Twitter questions. Thanks if you sent one in. Appreciate them all. Here's one I'm going to put to you, Sam. I really like this from Max. Was this the best performance of this season without Rhys James? I'm not going to be able to recall every game here either. Either way, but uh, yeah, I I thought it was a good display. I think Chelsea deserved to win. Um, Liverpool had the odd chance, didn't they? They had the, the flurry at the start of the second half, the, the two Gakpo ones in the first period. But I felt Chelsea always looked the more likely to nick it. It was a really good 20-minute spell in the second half where you could you could sense that the fans were up. They were anticipating that goal coming, uh, obviously with Madrid's uh, arrival. So, so, yeah, I thought they had the better chances. I thought they looked the more cohesive. It looked, to my eyes, that Liverpool had more work to do on the training ground, as bizarre that, that that sounds, and that the last week or whatever it's been on the, the training pitch has, has clearly paid dividends. And I felt there were some really good patterns that the first half still had that kind of, is it a back three, is it a back four? conversation going on throughout the first half but I thought that they looked really well coached which we haven't been able to say um, too often this season so yeah it's a shame that the the, the Havertz goal didn't stand uh, and obviously shame that one of those opportunities in the second half didn't end up as a goal but no I thought there was there was loads to like and loads of good individual performances um, defensively Silva, Badia Chile, Mudrik obviously, Ziyech best he's been for, for a while and and I saw you tweeting about Kukureo, who definitely deserved a, a shout out, Matt, as well. I thought he was a lot more competent than he has been recently. I think the well coached point that, that Sam makes is really significant because I think a lot of Chelsea fans, or at least a lot of the ones I was speaking to last week, were looking towards this game for evidence that, you know, with a full week to prepare on the training pitch, that Graham Potter could come up with a real coherent game plan. Uh, and actually get this group of players to to properly enact it and and produce an effective performance because there hasn't been much evidence of that in the last few weeks and of course there's been enforced changes to the team very little time but I think we saw that I think we saw that Anfield I think he he did come up with a really sophisticated tactical structure I think three at the back four at the back it's just a state of mind Sam it, it it's uh you know it's it's just a you can't think about it too much. Depending on where the ball was, Ziyech was coming back to help out. At times, it looked like wing-backs. I've told Matt categorically not to ask me about formations in commentaries ever again. It's becoming impossible. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's a wasted conversation, I think, because Lucy Ward surmised it you know, quite well, I think, when she'd had a bit of time to, to breathe during an injury or something in the first half and just said, like, it's where the ball is and it's <laughs> whether you've got players that are in a position to go and press and that 
that basically has a knock-on effect as to where Kukurea's position is, where Ziyech's position is. So, I mean, it's very, very complex. And I was thinking about the the quick thinking that Kukurea must have had to have in his decision-making, you know, whether it's a step forward or just get back into the back four. So, yeah, it's not something that uh, I will be discussing readily during comms in the near future. Yeah, ultimately, it looked like their main aims going into that game, Potter's main aims, were to create a structure, whatever it happened to be at any stage, that that just meant that Chelsea couldn't be overmanned, particularly in wide areas, because we know how much Liverpool like to attack with wide overloads, but also not compromising the ability to press Liverpool high up the pitch and try and turn the ball over. And I think they did a really good job in the first half of playing in a way that flummoxed Liverpool. I mean, clearly Liverpool have got problems of their own. They're, they're struggling for rhythm, but they, they made a lot of... Some unforced errors, but some I thought at least sort of semi-forced by Chelsea players popping up in areas they didn't expect them to and, and cutting off passing angles that they didn't expect them to be in. So it got a bit harder in the second half, but I think he also adjusted well. And the introduction of Mudrik helped with that by immediately making James Milner untenable at right back. <laughs> Yeah, I've already been booked particularly. I'm glad that everybody's coming round to my way of thinking that football's about vibes, not tactics. But back three or back four, I mean, it doesn't matter as long as Thiago Silva's in there, does it? Here's Prasanna tweeting, can we please get a seven-year contract to tie up Silva into his mid-40s? Treblig added, in the new Avatar film, the humans are harvesting an oil from whale-like creatures that literally halts the ageing process. (laughs) My question is, is Thiago Silva using it? Because so far it's the only explanation for his continued brilliance. That makes sense. It's not just his brilliance, is it, Liam? It's the impact that he seems to have had on Barry Ashiel as well. That The two of them look like a decent partnership and they've played, what, 180 minutes together? I thought he was going to say that silver was the thing we should be harvesting. That, that <laughs> sounds quite sinister, but also maybe quite smart. Um, yeah, there, lots of people have been talking about their partnership within Chelsea. I think Potter said some nice things about it after the game and, and a couple of Chelsea teammates have been talking about the influence that Silva's had on Badia Shield. They obviously have a, a language in common in French that they can they can communicate in um, during matches, and it's like a it's like one of those old sort of buddy cop movies, isn't it? The old guy a week away from retirement, and the young upstart who can uh, who can do most of the heavy lifting physically. I do think Badia Shields looked looked really good, really solid. It's a difficult assignment when. Okay, you're not the primary defender on Mo Salah, but you always have to be aware of him when he's trying to make those runs from out to in. And, you know, when when Kukurea maybe went upfield, he did have to defend Salah at times, and I thought he made a really good fist of that. And Silva, you just know, he's so smart. He's not the most physical guy, but Liverpool don't have the most physical attack. And I think he just he just outthought Cody Gakpo um, for pretty much the whole game. There were a couple of moments where Gakpo got half chances, but... Liverpool's most dangerous moments came when they managed to pass around Silva rather than trying to go through him. And that tends to be the case now because he he just always sees it coming. A couple of other tweets. Research View 2 says Potter deserves credit for getting new players up to speed and contributing right away. Injuries are factor, but Felix Mudrick and Badia Ashiel didn't look out of place in their appearances. I've included that because we've not had much love for Graham Potter in recent weeks from uh, Chelsea supporters. So it's good to see that that is starting to happen. Uh, a few people asking about Mason Mount, including Rich, who simply says, Mason Mount, what's going on? 
Uh, Nana adds, how does Potter fit Mason Mount into his team when Felix is back? It's an interesting question that, Liam, isn't it? Because obviously there's this contract issue rumbling on in the background and, and reports over the weekend that, that Liverpool uh, remain interested should he uh, not agree a new deal with Chelsea. Obviously, that'll partly be about the money on the table, but it'll also be about his role in the team. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've never been given the impression, any other impression than than Chelsea consider Mount a very important part of their plans. Every coach he's ever had has has considered him pretty much indispensable to the team. And I think Graham Potter really values him as well. He's not playing his best football right now. I don't think anywhere close to that. And he really struggled to influence the game at Anfield. I think he's, he, still, he still gives you little things. There were a couple of moments where, you know, he popped up and won generated turnovers with, with pure hustle and, and he's always reliable in the press, um, but he's he's not making many right decisions in the final third at the moment. And yeah, it's you have to wonder maybe if the amount of football he's played over the last couple of years is having an impact in that. Even though he would never voluntarily take himself out of a game or, or give himself any rest, maybe maybe he he could be protected a little bit in that sense. It might be easier for Potter to, to do if Chelsea didn't have half a squad injured. But it's it's kind of a funny moment for Mount because, as you say, this contract is is not yet finalised, and clubs have been looking at him for more than a year. You know, for people in the Chelsea fan base who seem to still think that Mason Mount isn't talented, there there's an even more overwhelming body of evidence from people within football that he absolutely is. Because you know, in addition to people at Chelsea really valuing him, people at other clubs really want him. Uh, and Liverpool is is a club that we've heard repeatedly and not not surprisingly because they kind of need a new midfield in the next couple of years. Um, as for his best role, I think particularly with this attack being being remade, it gives a better opportunity for him to play more full time as a number eight slash number 10 hybrid, which I think has always been the best use of his game. Then his sort of goals and assists become you're not depending on him to be the primary creator or primary scorer in a team. And I don't think that's the right casting for him anyway. Uh, Sam, while we're talking Cobham kids, what did you make of uh, of Lewis Hall in midfield? Gave the ball away a couple of times, didn't he? But he was always there to, to show for it. This is, lest we forget, is his preferred position. Yeah, I'm thinking back to the, to the last pod. I, was, um, I wasn't sure as to whether he'd, he'd play on the left-hand side, whether Graham Potter would look at this and, and, and feel it was too difficult to throw him in so to see him line up in the centre midfield just shows the trust that they have in him and how many good games good uh, periods he's had so far this season um, yeah I think it's all come quite quickly for him is my my honest honest answer um, and I think that showed a little bit in in the game you know the the awareness I suppose the the knack of knowing when to just pop it off one touch or having that picture in your head, I think it just got a little bit lost. But I could say that about a number of players on both teams in the in the middle third of the pitch. I thought it was really saturated. Chelsea got their most joy when they went, you know, over the top of Liverpool for Havertz, his direct running, which was a positive, I thought, in the first half and round the side. So listen, he's a real confident lad, and I love that about him in that he didn't shirk the responsibility to keep going and receiving the ball. And that shows that he's got a great attitude and real real mental strength for someone so young. So I didn't think it was his best game, but in some ways I think it would have done him 
loads of good to have had that experience against a, a top side. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll see him in that role again in a in a game where Chelsea are more controlled in one of the home games against a, a weaker opposition where he can hopefully prosper. But yeah, he's had a magnificent start to his life in, in Chelsea's first team and he's become an integral part of the squad, whether he'll remain as in, integral in the, the 11 as he has been recently. I probably doubt when the players are going to return from injury and, you know, possibly one or two new signings get over the line. But yeah, he's had a, he's had a brilliant season. Uh, what about Mudrick then, Liam? He was the, the subject of your, your post-match piece up on The Athletic. Now, I'm calling it a joint read with me, given that the um, Chelsea TV highlights of the game have been embedded into the piece. Um, it was really encouraging, wasn't it? You, you kind of thought, well, is he going to actually be able to come on and impact it, given he hasn't played since November? But Liverpool were, were pretty concerned as soon as he came on the pitch and with good cause. Yeah, it's one thing being able to run fast, which we always knew Mudrick can, and it's another thing being immediately up to the speed of the game. And I thought he was from from his first touches in not the easiest environment, in an environment where players all around you on both teams are making mistakes. When there's a really high wind, which I'm not sure came through on the TV, but was definitely a factor in the stadium. He just immediately looked like the most dangerous attacking player on the pitch. And I did think this going into the game that Liverpool might be the ideal opponent's to make his debut because they they defend high. They know they're going to give you space to run into. I didn't know they were going to play a 37-year-old at right back. I thought it was going to be Trent, but even if it's even if it's Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know you're probably going to get chances to go at him. And I, he had lots of dangerous moments. The thing that really impressed me, obviously the, the real sort of flashbulb moment, the one that I based my piece around was that little run where he picks up on the loose ball um, from Conor Gallagher and that lightning shimmy that plants Joe Gomez and the little jink to the left. It was a real shame that he couldn't score it because it would have been a a brilliant goal and one completely out of keeping with the game. (laughs) But the the thing that really impressed me more generally was similar to what we saw from João Felix, actually, against Fulham, how immediately aware he was of all of his his teammates. Um, He'd pick up the ball in tight spaces and make the right decision. He he. In some cases, he'd manipulate defenders to create passing lanes and then not play the obvious pass, play the clever pass, the more difficult pass that, that created a more open shot. And he did that twice for Carney Tripwamika. And it felt like he just couldn't quite sort himself out in time to get a shot away. Things like that, we didn't see so much at Shakhtar because they were very much a transition team. But they're, those are going to be crucial skills for Mudrik if he's going to be a, an elite difference maker in a top possession team like Chelsea or Chelsea aspire to be and I thought that was hugely encouraging and given that he's only going to get fitter and sharper as the weeks go by I think he looks he he looks really really good all right so that was his first game for Chelsea Sam let's get some love for Cesar Azpilicueta please his 500th Chelsea appearance that's more than 44,000 minutes on the pitch he's won pretty much everything that there is to win and uh, he actually he came on and had to get involved in a couple of key defensive contributions before the end of this game but I mean generally overall a proper Chelsea legend oh yeah undoubtedly um yeah I enjoyed that little chest back just when there was a little bit of pressure (laughs) building or a little bit of doubt as to as what was going to happen in that in that second uh he dealt with it brilliantly well but yeah he's phenomenal and I love you know when we're in that that press box at 
at Chelsea just behind the dugouts. Obviously, you get a really good uh, sight of him from from there and just watching the professionalism over the years, the intensity that he plays at every game, whether it's a Champions League game or whether it's an early round of a, a League Cup tie, it's incredible. And I imagine he's like that every day on the training ground as well. Uh, and there could have been times in the last few years, there would have been times when there, there was an obvious uh, moment when you felt he was going to leave for, for Barcelona, wasn't it? And he stuck around. Managers have kept him around because he's just an exemplary professional. And... Um, yeah, he's going to be um, he's going to be hard to replace, not only as a player, but I think everything that he brings off the pitch. So yeah, great that he got on um, and that he got that that achievement, you know, in such a big game at Anfield. He's been been amazing. Yeah, really liked his uh, Twitter thread about reaching the milestone as well, particularly the final one that was signed. Love Dave, oh, lovely <laughs> stuff. All right, that was the Liverpool game that did happen. Then next, we'll talk about the game that wasn't. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We have been told the match is off. So clearly they wanted to, to try their best to get this on, but pitch is unplayable, it is not safe. And so ultimately, although the decision perhaps could have come a bit earlier, before kickoff, before those who'd made the full journey here down to the capital, ultimately it looks like the right decision has been made. Well, Chelsea and Liverpool faced off in the WSL on Sunday, briefly. Uh, the game was abandoned after six minutes because the pitch was frozen. We would have had a voice note on the game from our own Jesse Parker Humphreys. Instead, let's have a moment's silence in honour of there and everyone else's who went wasted Sunday. We can hear from Emma Hayes now. This is what she had to say about it. Yeah, look, we've made progress. Investment has gone into the quality of the grasses across the surfaces across the league. The next step is under soil heating. No game in the women's game at this top level should be cancelled. End of subject. We need under soil heating everywhere. We don't live in Barbados. Uh, Sam, I've got a theory here, uh, which might not make me popular with some of my clients, but I think that if this game hadn't been on telly, they would have just called it off at 9.30 when the pitch inspection was, rather than try to get it on. This was a, a really bad look for the league, I thought. And, and seeing the clip that went round on Twitter with the funny music behind it of them playing the opening six minutes, it's astounding that nobody got injured because that looks so, so dangerous. Yeah, it was. It was appalling, wasn't it? I, I didn't realise how comical it was until I saw that footage that you're referring to. Game should have been called off first thing in the morning, maybe even the, the previous day, uh, given that games in in the area were called off on the Saturday afternoon. So the temperatures didn't didn't rise and um, 
yeah, I mean, it put the, the player's um, health at, at risk, didn't it? Even going out there for five or six minutes. Why a referee has to determine that decision, I don't think it's particularly fair either. There should be someone from the the FA, someone from the governing body there in the morning to run the rule over it and to make sure that they can make an affirmative decision then. I don't think that's particularly fair on him if he's getting pressurised from from other sources. That that's a that's a big issue, and obviously the the biggest problem was the, these games aren't being attended by a couple of hundred people now. I had a little look on the website in the morning. I think there was only standing available in the away to, in one of the terraces. So you know, these are getting good attendances. Um, supporters had left Liverpool early morning. I understand on a coach to call it off at that late stage is not a good look at all. So they have to learn lessons from it. What the answer is, I don't know, because I understand, you know, from my own perspective that you don't want too many games on Stamford Bridge, for example, um, because you want to make sure that's a really good playing surface. And it has to make sense, I would presume, in a financial point of view. And, and we saw the great attendances in the WSL recently at the Emirates and and, and such like. But are you going to get that for a, a game against teams in the lower reaches of the division? I, I doubt it at this stage. But that was that was not a good day for for anyone concerned yesterday, and and has to be avoided in the future. But I think making an early decision would have been paramount in this um, isolated incident. Yeah, a few people say no, they should just play them all at the main stadium. But but you're right, Sam, to point out about the attendances, and that, and that's something that players are mindful of as well. I know that there's a fair few players in the Chelsea team, for example, who are not keen on playing at Stamford Bridge in front of ten thousand people as opposed to playing at Kings Meadow. Well, here's a crackpot theory on Twitter from at Matt Davis Adams, who says, "Is it naive to think that the Premier League could do the EFL and the WSL a favour and just fund undersaw heating for every ground, bearing in mind that a lot of these stadiums are." used by Premier League sides for their development squads as well, aren't they? Surely that that's something economically which would work out in the long run. Is that just pie in the sky? When you look at some of the the mayhem that occurred in the EFO over the weekend, it's it's really difficult. I mean Peterborough Charlton was was called off what an hour and a half before before kickoff or or something. Everyone had obviously travelled probably nearly in their seats. So in an ideal world, yes, I don't think that that helps. Probably going to be forthcoming. Why I don't, I don't know, but you, you'd like to think that the the bigger clubs could maybe do this to make sure that this doesn't reoccur. I know it hasn't happened too often in the last season or two, but yeah, you'd like to think that undersoil heating would be you know high on the list of of priorities to make sure the, this type of thing doesn't happen. Um, whether they're going to get it from. The governing bodies is very doubtful, in my opinion. Uh, well, the women are hopefully back in action on Wednesday night. They take on Spurs in the Conti Cup quarterfinal, but that's at Brisbane Road. So we'll see if that survives uh, the freeze. We'll tell you how they get on if they do manage to get the game on on our Thursday pod. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, not much on-pitch content for us to talk about, so let's answer a couple of random questions and talk some transfers. Obviously, Chelsea have signed another winger since last we spoke. His name is Nolly Madueke. He's joined from PSV. This is my ignorance, Liam. I didn't even realise he was English and an England under-21 international. Um, what more can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's had a really unconventional path, although maybe increasingly conventional in recent years for English players to making that decision at kind of 16, 17 to, to go to Europe for, for better development pathways. He was in Tottenham's academy. He was really highly rated in Tottenham's academy and he had interest from major European clubs and major Premier League clubs, including Chelsea, and decided instead to go and join PSV because he saw the Eredivisie as a, as a really good developmental league um, and he wanted to play first team football right away. He he bet on himself in the way that you know Jaden Sancho and, and others have, and it, and it's paid off for him really well. He had a, a brilliant breakthrough season really early for PSV, like seventeen eighteen. The last couple of years have been a bit more difficult. He's had a fair few muscle injuries, like lingering hamstring issues, and then he had an ankle injury at the start of this season, uh, and I think that's cooled some of the some of the hype about him because if he'd continued on the trajectory that he had early on he probably would have left PSV before now um but he's still only 20 he fits the profile of what of what Bowley and Clearlake have been targeting which is a guy with really really high upside he's he's a he's a, a very fast strong skillful winger very direct runner um in in that sense he's like Mudrik very different running style though he's kind of he's he's a bit more of a wilder dribbler and quite big, quite tall for a winger and, and, and strong enough that people bounce off him. And he's a natural left footer from the right-hand side, loves to cut in and shoot, but can also go the other way and, and cross capably or cut back with his right foot. He's got lots of areas to improve. He's still quite raw. But I do think as as much as it, it's become a running joke now, the amount of attackers Chelsea are signing... He is the kind of attacker Chelsea need because they're signing all these guys who want to play off the left um, or just behind a striker to the left. They need someone who can provide balance on the other side. And I think if if he hits and if he stays healthy, the prospect in particular of him combining with Rhys James down the right flank with him cutting in and James overlapping, that's quite exciting, I think. Uh, what about Moises Caicedo? Word that Chelsea were, were bidding for him last week. Is that just because he plays for Brighton or is there actually something in Chelsea really like him and everything we've heard suggests that you know he's in the sort of top two or three targets along with Enzo, um, top two or three choices for that central midfield position. He might be more gettable than, than Enzo for slightly less, but still a lot because Brighton don't sell cheap as Chelsea have already found out. Chelsea have, have signalled their interest this month, but Brighton have no intention of selling. And if they are, if they do sell, it will be for an absolute king's ransom. Um, so the question is whether Chelsea really believe that Caicedo 
as talented a young player as he is, is the long-term answer in that central midfield position. Maybe when you're looking beyond Jorginho, because if you're not 100% convinced of that, then it's a it's a lot of money to commit when Chelsea have already spent so much in this window. All right, last one I'm going to put to you, Liam, because uh, I know you push for time today. Andrew says, not sure if it's a good thing for clubs to be transparent with fans over every issue, but it's time to hear something about the injury fast. What's happening at Cobham? Are the club doing anything about losing a player a week? Um, this is a, a mixture of, of bad luck and a new medical team, maybe not knowing the players to the extent the previous guys did. Is, is that a incorrect assumption on my part I think that's probably part of it there's been a lot of change in all in all departments of the club and then when you have that in the medical department it can be particularly destabilizing and then you add to the fact that that Chelsea have had a crazy schedule they've been coming into this season having played more games than anyone else bar Liverpool last year and it's no surprise it's no coincidence that Liverpool have also had an injury crisis this season that's that's rivaled Chelsea's in scale so I think workload, accumulated workload over the long term is a big part of this um, that maybe people are not talking about. But but clearly the staff turnover doesn't help. Graham Potter's already spoken about the, f- the fact that Chelsea are looking very closely at this internally. They'd have to be. You know, it, it, it's hurting them. And if you're signing all these new players, you don't want to be bringing them into an environment where they're going to get injured in their, in their first couple of sessions. Potter was also keen to stress after the Liverpool game that Mudrick is not ready to start and Chelsea will be careful sort of ramping up his load over a period of time. I think they're very, very aware now that they they can't... Something has been going wrong um, on the injury front, even if they can't necessarily put their finger on it yet. So I think caution has to be the watchword now, both in terms of handling the players that fit, but also not rushing back the players that have been injured because we've already seen with Reese James and Wesley Fofana in particular, they got re-injured and that's a, that's a worrying sign in itself. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-21s took on Fulham at Motspur Park on Sunday. They continued their fine form in PL2. A 4-2 win. Cesare Cassidy opened the scoring four minutes in. Mason Burstow doubled the lead. Bashir Humphreys, a rare goal for him, added a third after an assist from the returning Harvey Vale. Fulham pulled it back to 3-2 before Malik Mothersill added a fourth to send Chelsea top of the table. It's looking very good for them at the moment, Sam. They've got a lot of players in good form at the moment and a coach who's taken to his new role like a duck to water. Yeah, I think a combination of the two. I was reluctant to be too harsh uh, on the coach and staff last season because I think you're quite dependent. It's quite determined by the, the quality of the player that you have. And when you look at, when you hear some of the names that you've just referred to, Matt, there's great quality in the PL2 side at the moment. Vale coming back obviously improves it. Hutchinson's had a brilliant season at that level. Burstow, Mother Seal, top attacking talent that they've got. They've got momentum all of a sudden. And I was pleased to see them beat Fulham because Fulham have had a couple of victories over Chelsea Academy side, heavy victories so far this season. And they had a bit of a wobble. They pulled it back to 3-2 and then Mother Seal got a really good goal on the counter-attack. So, yeah, huge credit to, to Mark Robinson for this um, this turnaround, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think there's some really, really good players um, in great form right now. And hopefully they can they can continue and, and get back to winning trophies, which the Academy grew accustomed to over the last decade. 
Uh, Harvey Vale's got to go out on another loan, hasn't he? He won't, he won't spend the rest of the season at Chelsea. Only played a, a couple of games for Hull. Uh, injury sort of hampered his, his progress a little bit there, but he needs to be playing first-team football, doesn't he? Yeah, and a shame that it didn't work out at, at Hull City. I saw the comments from uh, Rossini the other day. So, yeah, I, I felt in the early part of this season in the PL2, he was such a, a game changer. He was taking such responsibility almost for the team when they required a bit of magic or someone to to pull them out of the mire. He was so often the the guy. So I think mentally, as well as his, his obviously quality footballing ability, he's ready to go. He looked like mentally he was at that point to go and be playing, you know, for, for real points and for getting that invaluable experience. So I'd imagine there'll be a lot of teams looking at him as soon as they'd seen him back in, in PL2 action at the weekend. Um, irrelevant of whether he's making assists or scoring goals or whatever. He He's ready to play football, absolutely. Um, because he's had a year of being the, the standout player. So I'd imagine those talks will be going on as we speak. Yep, transfer window still open for a little while yet. Should be some movement outwards as well as inwards, uh, Chelsea-wise. No game for the under-18s this weekend, by the way. They go to Cambridge in the FA Youth Cup fourth round on Wednesday night, weather permitting. All right, that'll just about do us for today. Liam, what have you got planned this week for Athletic subscribers to look forward to, please? Well, I teased a bit of it with my answer earlier, but I'm working on a piece about Noni Madueke. Um, By the time I've started writing it, Chelsea may have signed someone else who I then have to move on to uh, and try and do these scouting reports. Uh, I want to make sure I'm not two or three signings behind. It's quite a fearsome pace that they're setting. But uh, I'm looking forward to that because it's it's been fun watching clips of Madueke and trying to get uh, a bit more on his background. And beyond that, just kind of enjoying the, the gap between games. Yeah, a couple of weeks now until Chelsea play again. Um, also up on The Athletic in David Ornstein's column this morning, you can read about how Chelsea are close to joining a pre-season tournament in America at the end of the current campaign. Uh, Sam, where does this week find you? I'm just looking at the uh, the midweek fixtures and, and thinking, I don't know, Wickham Oxford might have your name all over it. That's called off, isn't it, surely? There. <laughs> Chilton Hills. Uh, I'm going to go down to Swindon tomorrow night if the game's on actually against Stevenage. And then I'm on the 18s and the 23s tail end of the week for for Chelsea. So um, yeah, no break for me. Looking forward to those two. All right, that'll do us for today. Many thanks for your company. We'll be back on Thursday. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The Athletic.